Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. I want to start off this morning's message uh, by bringing some of us back, and maybe if you're a student, you don't have to go too far back if you're still in school, uh, but bringing some of us back to a terrifying time. Uh, so I'm going to introduce a little bit of fear, a little bit of worry, and then we're going we're gonna to get rid of that, okay? Uh, go with me. You know, you're in high school, and it's just a normal day, and you walk into class, and you've got your books, and you're ready, and your teacher introduces two words that create instant panic, instant fear, and the words are pop quiz. Don't like that day. Uh, you kind of look at your teacher like, you, you are a messenger of Satan. Get behind me. I don't understand why, why are you doing this right now? Right, pop quiz. And we, all, we all know that. It's like, I'm in this class, but I had no expectation of being tested today. I'm not, I'm not in an emotionally ready mood. I'm not in a headspace ready mood. I don't, I don't care for this. Some of you still at your jobs, you still continue to go through testing to advance in your career or maybe just to make sure that you're doing your job right. We all understand what it's like to face a test and we also understand what it's like to face an unexpected test, a pop quiz. And, and so today, you can let your guard down. You will not be tested on the sermon today. That's not what's going to happen. Uh, but for many of us in this space, we are facing tests in our lives. Uh, bigger than written tests we would face in high school. Uh, we're facing tests in our relationships, in our finances, in our physical bodies. We're facing tests when it comes to our, our career goals or the dreams we have for our lives, for our children. Uh, we feel tested there. Uh, are they going to live for the Lord? What choices are they making? We all know what it's like to face a test in life. And today, we're going to discover the name of God that we need to know when inevitably we face a test. How many know what it's like to face a test in life? By a show of hands, just make your neighbor feel good to know you're not alone. It's, we, we all know what it's like to face a test. Uh, think about tests. What do tests do for us? Besides maybe annoy us <laughs> and challenge us and frustrate us, let's be a little deeper today. A test, what it really does is it, it starts off by saying, we want to know if you've learned something. When you're tested, it's often on things that you should know. It would be horrible of your math teacher to say, okay, pop quiz, today we're taking a Spanish test in math class. Or that doesn't, you didn't teach me about that. Why am I taking a math test in my history class? We would look at our teacher and say, that's wrong of you to test me on something that I have not been taught. A test is often given to affirm you've learned something. What else does a test do? It tests if you've been paying attention. If you've actually, and if you were like me in school, you weren't. Okay, and that's why pop quizzes are terrifying. It's like, you gotta be kidding me, we're doing this. And here's a third thing a test does. It makes us more confident on the material. Because if I can take the test and pass or fail, I'm gonna walk away with a little more confidence because now what I've been taught has been reinforced to me by this test. 
Now, it's easy to understand when it comes to textbook, but we want to understand it when it comes to life because we are all facing or will face or have faced tests before. So what do we need to know in those moments we'll discover today? I want to read to you for the last time in this series as we wrap it up today, the verse that we have been reading each week as it frames this series, Strong Tower. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10 says, the name of the Lord is, let's say it together, a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. My prayer for you as your pastor or maybe as somebody you're meeting today for the first time, my prayer for you is that in the middle of life, on the good days and the not-so-good days, on the hard days and the easy days, we would always run to the name of God, that we would not run to any other name, the name of comfort or approval or success or power or money or sex, that we wouldn't run there on those days, but rather we would run to God because his name is a strong tower. Now, we've been discovering his name throughout this month. In the first week, we learned that when God was asked, what's your name? His response was, eh, yeah, in Hebrew, which is, I will be. In essence, he was telling Moses and telling us, I am everything. You can't box me in. But then he expounds that to us. He reveals himself. And we saw with David and Goliath that he is Jehovah Sabah, the Lord, our warrior. And when we go through battles in life— we don't fight them on our own as we belong to the Lord and the battle belongs to the Lord. Last week, we read through Psalm 23 and discovered Jehovah Rohi, the Lord, our shepherd. And if you've ever been wandered or lost or confused in life, you are not alone and the Lord, our shepherd, guides us and leads us. And today, we will discover the name we need to know when the tests come. We're going to be reading from Exodus, but before we turn there together or have scripture on the screen, I want to give you a little bit of history and you might be familiar with it. Um, the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt, and through miraculous power, God set them free from Egypt, and they went through the Red Sea. Have you heard this before or seen it, maybe? Scholars believe millions of people, and they were between a rock and a wet place with nowhere to go. Pharaoh behind them and the Red Sea in front of them, and God shows up miraculously and shows the people of Israel, I'm greater than water. I showed you my power in Egypt 10 times over. That was the 10 plagues, and now I'll show you how great I am. I can create a highway through this sea. And he does it. And rightfully so, you and I would do the same thing. After that moment, they have a praise party. They go in. I mean, they just start writing songs. Moses' sister Miriam gets the tambourine. They are rocking out. They are dancing. Let me read you a line of one of their songs. It says in verse 2 of Exodus 15, The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Everybody say praise party. Praise. They're having a praise party. They're taking a little praise break. Let's just— Let's live here, Moses. Let's just worship God. That was awesome. Were you there? You were there. I was there. We went through that. We walked. Let's worship God. It's awesome. I hope you've had days like that. It might have just been a, a, a Jim Dandy, a good ice cream sundae. It made you, <laughs> praise you Jesus for this, man. This banana and this ice cream is great. It just, just makes you just sing out like this is awesome. We, we have those moments. And oftentimes I've found that when I'm in the middle of a praise party, I don't want to leave the praise party. I just want to camp there. I want to stay there. 
But here's what God, here is what God was going to do with his people. He was going to get them out of Egypt, take them from the place where they were, and bring them to the place he promised them, Canaan. But in order to get from Egypt to the promised land, they had to go through the wilderness. And that's the place that you and I may be in and probably are in today. That place of God has brought me out. He has saved me, and I'm awaiting his return. And yet it feels like at times there is testing, and it's a desert, and I get hangry, and I'm frustrated. And what do we do there? Well, let's look to the people of Israel. So they have their praise party, but they don't stay there. It says in verse 22, Then Moses made Israel set out. Say set out. He made them set out. I mean— it's time to go. We sang, we danced, we've worshiped, but we weren't called to cross the Red Sea. We were called to set out. We got to go. So we set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Dry land, millions of people, three days, no water. This, my friends, is a test. It was awesome back there. We were worshiping God back there. Moses, why did you have us leave the praise party only to travel three days? And now we're thirsty. And we're in a wilderness. It is the place of testing. It's a challenge. It's not what they expected. It's not what they wanted. I want to say this to a few of you this morning because you may be facing a test in your life and it could be in your relationships, in your body, in just the way, the way you are, your, your, your physical health. And you're wondering, am I going through this because of something I've done wrong? Like, like what did I'm, I'm living for the Lord. Maybe today you're a follower of Christ. You're honoring him. And yet the test is so heavy and you feel like you're in the wilderness. Let me speak to you for a moment. You could be in a dry land even while being in God's will. Don't miss that truth. What that truth does is it breaks the legs off of prosperity gospel. That if you're serving the Lord, you never have to worry about getting sick. You never have to worry about any hardships. You never have to worry about dysfunction. Everything's going to go right for you. And the problem with that gospel is it's no gospel at all. And when we face a challenge, if that's what you believe in, then your first thought is, I must be doing something wrong. And shame comes in, and guilt comes in, and condemnation comes in. You've got to understand that you could be in a dry land even while being in God's will. And I'm not just saying that. I'm going to show you that in Scripture in a moment. Where, where do we see that? Who do we see that was tested and yet was in God's will? Exhibit A, Jesus. I rest my case. Matthew 4, 1. The, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. There's either—there's two options. Either Jesus was not in the will of God, and so this test was a result of his sin, and that is no option at all. So he is in the will of God, and yet in God's will, 
He is tempted. The Greek word literally means to make proof of, to test. So I, I just want you to know that if you, you're like, I am being tested right now, and yet I'm honoring the Lord, you are in good company with Jesus. Hey, don't, don't let the enemy tell you, well, that's because you, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't trust the Lord. And how could he do that to you even after you've obeyed him? No, no. This is, this is life. And there's a point. Remember, the test reinforces what we've learned. The test strengthens us. The test takes us deeper. It gives us confidence. So the people of Israel now, they've gone three days without water. And now, look at what happens. They come to water, but unfortunately, they can't drink the water. Look at verse 23. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. To which I say, are you kidding me? <laughs> really? I, I've gone three days without water, and you know there was that one dude that saw the water, and he's like, Moses, I'm going in, and just runs for it, jumps in, and it's bitter. It's undrinkable. It, it, it cannot quench thirst in any way. This is frustrating, to say the least. This is that moment where you think the solution has come for your life, and yet you realize that's no solution at all. That's a test. I, I thought this career was going to do it, but I know my boss was going to be a test. I thought this relationship was going to be it, but I didn't know that he was that jacked up. I, 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 I should have listened to his friends. I, I, I thought that, that this experience was going to make it for me, and yet it feels like a test. It's bitter. And so what do the people do? They probably do what you and I would most likely do. It says in the next verse, then the people say the word complained. I'm so happy that on Long Island we don't have any complainers. It's just it's a beautiful place to live. They complained and they turned against Moses. What are we going to drink? They demanded. Right? They complain. Because it's been three days without water. Now, let's look at that from a different perspective for a moment. It's been three days. It's only been three days. Three days ago, they were having a worship party because God was greater than the water challenge they were facing. And three days later, their worship has turned into complaint. And it's about water. We're often tested on things that we should already know. God's already demonstrated his power over the Red Sea. And now they come up to these, these waters that are bitter. And they complain. And they, and they don't trust him. It didn't take long, only three days, for the people to forget God and to forget what he's able to do. Can I make this a little bit more real for us? Let's put it in our weekly calendar. It's Sunday, and we're like, and I will sing of the goodness of God. And then Wednesday comes, and we're like, yo, you better take that elevation out of my car right now. I need something else. God's not here. I don't know where he is, because if he was here, this wouldn't be happening. And we go from praising on Sunday to complaining on Wednesday. That's what the people did. 
it wasn't the water that was the only thing that was bitter there. The people became bitter. If you and I are not careful, we will allow the bitter test in our lives to make us become bitter. To be bitter towards people, to be bitter towards a situation, to be bitter towards God. They turned against Moses, but in so doing, they were turning against the Lord who brought them there. So in school, right, or in your career, we know if we're failing or passing a test based on what? Based on the grade, right, the score. But how do we know if we're failing or passing a test in life, right? Like, are we just hoping that Gabriel's going to fly in from heaven? Like, bro, you got a strong D minus. We got to do something here. It doesn't work like that. I thought that was funny. I don't care what anybody thinks. I thought, I thought that was funny. I just seen a little angel come down with a score grade. Thank you. That's not how it works. So how do we know if we're failing or passing tests? Now, let me add this, as believers, as a Christian. So if today you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, I want you to lean in and listen, and I want, I want for you what God wants for you. He wants to call you his own. He wants you to be his child. He wants you to surrender to him. He has so much for you. And if you are his, you are a follower of Christ, you've got to know there is a way to know if you're failing the test in life. And here's, here's how. If you adopt an attitude of complaining. And I know what we want to do when we hear that. We want to complain about it. We, we want, we want, nope, nope, I, I don't like that. No one does. We adopt, now look at the words, an attitude of complaining. An, an attitude of complaining is that complaint is our native tongue. We complain constantly. Oh, it's too sunny. Oh, it's too cloudy. Oh, it's too rainy. I wish it would rain. It, we, we, a complaint is just a part of our language. That's when you know you've adopted an attitude of complaint and you've let go of an attitude of gratitude. Because Scripture says to be thankful in all things, not just in the good things. In all things, we give thanks. Really, let me break this down. An attitude of complaint at its core, what it says, here's what I wrote. When we complain as a follower of Christ, we are expressing to God, I don't trust your power over this situation. I don't trust that you love me. I don't trust that your grace is enough for me. And I don't trust your will. But that, when we complain about a test, that's what we are expressing to the Lord. And like Israel, we can praise him on Sunday and complain to him on Wednesday. Now let me say this to you. Lamenting and grieving and acknowledging real unpleasant emotions about a situation and a test is healthy, and you've got to do it. And, and where do we get that from? Jesus. In the garden, he expresses, I'm overwhelmed with grief. So please don't put bumper sticker Christianity across a real challenge that you're facing. I just got, you just got to have joy, brother. I got to smack you, brother. That's what's going to happen. If you tell me to have joy one more time, you better step back for a second. Because like David, I mean, you read Psalm 2. He says, break the teeth of the wicked. There's a prayer. Bust that man in his face, Lord. That's the KIV, the Keith and Davino version of that. Like, just right hook. You express it to the Lord. But you don't live with an attitude of complaint. You and I are marked by gratitude and by grace. 
So, so Jesus expresses in the garden, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow, and then he prays, but not my will, your will be done. So he's submitted to the fact that he's about to face the biggest test of his life, the cross. And he says, God, this, if you could do something else, if we could get rid of this test, do it. Man, this is crushing me. I don't want this, but your will, not my will. That's how we are both real and vulnerable and submitted and surrendered. And that's why on Small Group Sunday, I'm going to talk about it at the end, but I'll talk now. You've got to be in an environment where you can connect with one or two people and be vulnerable. And you can say to them, hey, I'm going through it right now. My marriage is falling apart. My career is in question. My health is deteriorating, and I'm sick of it. And I'm tired. And you can have another believer say, I understand. I'm going to pray with you that you keep bringing that to the Lord. That happens in small group. That, that happens in this place, and we'll talk about it. But the people of Israel, man, they just went in. They started complaining. At the Red Sea, apparently, they had not learned the lesson that God is greater than water. I mean, they just saw it. So what does God do? Does he beat them up, strike them with lightning, tell them you're done? Yeah, one chance. No, no, none of that. He's gracious and merciful. They're at the bitter waters. And look at what we read in the next verse. Moses cried out to the Lord. That's important. It doesn't say Moses vented on Facebook. It say Moses just, just went on a rant. Moses texted Aaron. No, no. He cried out to the Lord. He went to him. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. That's weird. God, I'm talking about water. Why, why are you showing me that piece of wood? What does that have to do with anything? And so he threw it in the water, and the water became fit to drink. Three days prior, God used the staff that was in Moses' hand, a piece of wood, to part the Red Sea. Three days later, God again says to Moses, you see that piece of wood? Yeah. Throw it in. Okay. And the bitter was made better by a piece of wood. And if you want to know how you're going to go from bitter to better is because your Savior was nailed to a piece of wood for you. Because at the cross, Jesus died so that you might be transformed and be made new. And so the bitterness that's taken root in your heart, it doesn't have to stay there. And it may seem weird and unconventional and odd, God's methods from moving us from bitter to better, and yet that is the Christian walk. That, that his ways don't make sense. Hey, God, the test of my life is this person. They have hurt me. They have hurt my family, and I can't stand them. What am I supposed to do? Forgive them and pray for them. No, I think you got it wrong. Let's try that again, God. <laughs> no, pray for your enemies. Bless those that curse you. Yeah, but that doesn't make sense. It's unconventional. But it's the way I'm going to move you from bitter to better. Yeah, but God, I'm, I'm struggling right now financially. I, I can barely make it. What am I to do? Trust me with your finances. No, I don't have enough. I know, give more. What? It's upside down. If that doesn't make sense to you, Tuesdays, small groups, Financial Peace University, you're going to learn about God's practices of finances, and I promise you, your finances are going to change. God's ways don't make sense. It didn't make sense to throw a piece of wood in there, but it also didn't make sense that a group of people started complaining after they had seen the power of God three days before. And God meets them in His grace in his love. God, I just want to get ahead in life, and everyone's getting promoted before me in this company, and I don't know what to do. 
The first will be last. The last will be first. Stay humble, my child. Like, that's just what he does. And so God heals the water. He makes it new. And then it says in the next verse, there the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them, let's say it together, to the test. Don't miss this. What you're facing in life is not a problem. It's a test. The people saw the waters at Mara as a problem, but it wasn't a problem. It was a test. See, when we see problems in lives, we immediately think, I need solutions. When we see tests, we say, God, what are you doing? Teach me. Tests are designed to teach us. And here, it wasn't so much the water that was the real test. I'm going to show you. There's always a test behind the test. So we, we just think of it as, oh, it's, it's my neighbor. It's my children. It's my finances. It's my health. No, there's a test behind the test. And now God's going to show them the real test. That was water. God's got that. God's trying to do something in you. The bitter water was a picture of the bitter people. And now God was going to show them how they might be purified just like that water was. Here's what he says in the next verse. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians for I am the Lord your healer. Maybe you've heard God's name used before as the Lord, our healer. And I want you to see that the introduction of this name does not come at a moment where someone physically needed healing in their body, but rather at a moment when a nation needed healing in its soul. So I grew up in church, if you don't know my story. And anytime we would call on the Lord, our healer, Jehovah Rapha, it was always in connection to a physical healing that was needed. And, I, and I'm not saying that's, that's wrong, but I am saying that's limited. Because here, when God says, I'm the Lord your healer, and here's the Hebrew word we'll put up. It's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. This is the name of God we need to know in the testing. When God introduces himself as healer, he does it in a moment where no one was physically sick. The water was bitter, made better by God's provision. And then he tells the people, let's go back to that verse. He tells them, listen, you'll diligently listen to me. You'll, you'll do what's right. You'll keep my commands. I'll put none of the diseases, or we might say diseases, all of the suffering, all of the, the uneasy moments that the Egyptians suffered. He says, none of that will come on you. Why? For I am the Lord, your healer. So, if you're, if you're not taking notes, this is a good time to do it. If you are, you definitely want to write this down. You're going to learn some Hebrew for a moment. The Hebrew word that's used there for healer is the word Rapha. But most of the time in our Old Testament, it is not used in its literal sense, but rather it's used figuratively. And here's what the word means in its figurative sense. To heal the hurts of a nation. To restore favor to people and often includes forgiveness. So when God introduces himself for the first time, this is the first time he says, I'm the Lord who heals you. Let's put the verse up again. Look at the context. He says, here's everything that happened in Egypt, and if you will obey me and keep my commands, none of that will happen to you. Let's, let's read it in its figurative. For I'm the Lord who forgave you, who restored favor to you. I called you out. I've blessed you. I, I've healed you as a nation. 
in a way that you most needed because you were in Egypt and I got you out of Egypt and now I'm going to get the Egypt out of you. Now I'm going to purify your life. See, God, our healer, purifies and transforms our hearts so that we are purified and empowered to do what? To listen diligently and to obey his voice. That's why you and I have been made new. We don't obey to be accepted. We are accepted, and so we obey. We've been called out. We've been loved by God. And so now obedience is the only response. Why wouldn't I obey the Lord after all he's done and saved me, made me new? See, those diseases were put on Egypt because 10 times over, the number 10 in scripture is symbolic for the word testing. You look, look we did the, the big 10 this year. That was a big test. Here's ways we're going to test to see if you're going to honor me. The 10 plagues were 10 tests of Egypt and to Pharaoh to see if they would turn to the Lord. That's why the 10th, the tithe is a test. He says it in Malachi, test me, I'm testing you. Trust me in this way. It's a test. And it grows our confidence and our strength. So 10 times over, the Egyptians, they didn't obey. They rejected. They rejected. They rejected. And so disease was put on them by evidence of their rejection. And God says, listen, if you'll obey me, none of that, none of that in your life. And we might say, God, you're being harsh. It sounds like you're threatening us. Like, well, if I don't, then what? Well, there's natural consequence. Like if you take, if you take your own path, it's going to end where you want it to end. But if you follow the path God has laid out for you, and trust me, it is filled with tests, then even when you go through the physical challenge and the financial hardship, you say the solution is not found externally. The solution is because the Lord's my healer. Because he saved me. And in this world, you have trouble, Jesus says. But take heart, I've overcome the world. He is the Lord who heals us. But what about Egypt? Kind of feel sad for him. But what about them? What about the people in your life who you say, I mean, is there any hope for them? For my child? For my spouse? For my brother? My sister? For my family member? For my, my employer? For my, my coworkers? Like those that are living without God, is there any hope? Or have they failed the test so many times over that it's just there's no grace and mercy left in the tank? Let's fast forward a couple hundred years from this moment. God speaks to a man named Isaiah. And Isaiah is now going to prophesy to the people of Israel and the surrounding nations. And at this point, Egypt is no longer the primary enemy of Israel, but rather Assyria is. And they have conquered Israel, and they have taken them captive, and they've done deplorable things and practices that don't honor God. And Isaiah speaks, moved by the power of God's Spirit, and here's what he has to say. Isaiah 19, 22. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and, what's the word? Healing. Egypt? You got the right people up there? E Egypt? You're going to heal Egypt? And they will return to the Lord, and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. And it is this word that once again is being used in its figurative sense of, I'm going to restore favor to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save you. I'm going to give you a full healing, the healing you need. Egypt. He goes on and says, in that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. No, 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 not Assyria, God. <laughs> Anybody but Assyria. No, to, to Assyria. 
and Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians? Those people are going to have a praise party now? I don't think that's right. I think you were supposed to kill them. That judgment, fire, like... There was a time James and John asked Jesus, like, should we call that fire on Samaria? And he's like, are you crazy? What are you talking? Call that fire. I'm here to save people. Now, sin needs judgment. And that's why Jesus went to the cross to atone for our sin. So that on the cross, all people might call on his name. Even Egypt and Assyria. Let's read a little more. It gets crazier. In that day, Israel will be the third. But we were the first. Yeah, but first will be last. So you're third now. And you'll be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, don't say it, God, this hurts too much. Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Here's what I want you to realize. That person in your life that maybe you wrote off, God didn't write them off. And I know they've hurt you, and they've betrayed you, and they've lied. God still loves them. And that's hard for us. And that, but here, hear this. Don't become bitter. Surrender it to the Lord. God, they are in your hands. They, they're, they're in your hands. That's a great prayer to pray. They are in your hands. And I will not allow their decisions against me and my family to create a bitter root inside of me. I want to be on guard. I need Jehovah Rapha to heal me of this. And he's able to. He's the strong tower we run to when we're going through tests. So I know today, I mean, I'm, I'm doing this quick in 35 minutes, and this is, this is one of those big ones. Like, we should do a 52-week series on tests. Like, can we just keep talking about this all year 2023? Like, just come back in. Hey, how are you doing? Let's talk about this test. We need more. So consider this part one of part two on testing. And next month, we are going to hear from a good friend of mine, a special guest, who's going to travel over the ocean from a land far away. And he's going to come and speak to us. Take a look at the video of Pastor Labuto. Hello, Blaze Church. This is Pastor Labuto Nsofu from Kitwe, Zambia, Africa. I thank Pastor Keith for inviting me over to your church on the 23rd of October. And please invite your friends, invite your neighbors. The gospel does not mean anything unless there are people to receive it. And we're looking forward to a great time together looking at James chapter 1. God bless you, Blaze Church. Thank you for Pastor Keith for inviting me. Shalom. Isn't that awesome? Are you guys excited for that? I mean, that's really cool. So for those of you who may not know, we, we love Pastor Labuto and where he is. And a couple years ago, Blaze Church, you paid to put a roof on their new church building through your generosity. And we're just, yes, celebrating the gospel advancing. And he is making a point to come here to the States next month. And I said, Pastor Labuto, I, I would love for you to teach me and our church on how to navigate tests. James chapter 1, which says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And I'm like, you just got to open up the minds of some, some arrogant Americans who, who sometimes think it's a test because my air condition don't work in my car. Like, can you teach us something from Kitwe, Zambia? Of, of what? So I'm going to be right there October 23rd, just taking it all in and learning. And I'm, I'm encouraging you, put that date aside. Do not miss church October 23rd. Um, and I'm grateful that he's coming. That's in a month. What do we do today? 
because you're going through tests. I'm going through tests. How do we face the test and not adopt an attitude of complaint, but rather praise our God and come back to the healer? And I'll say this, you can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. I need people in my life that I can be true with and can be vulnerable with and really and just share and then have them say, okay, let's bring it to the Lord. Let, let's go to our God who heals. And that's why today is small group Sunday. So I'm going to ask every person, even if you're a guest, just I want to make sure you have this card. Just take the card. You don't have to fill it out, but you should have a card around you, either on your seat or in a chair near you. If you have to move around to get one, go ahead and do that. If you see someone that doesn't have it and your neighbor's looking, be like, hey, bro, pass me that card. I need that. Um, just everybody find a card. If we don't have enough, we will have some in the back for you. But I think I'm seeing everyone's got one in their hands at this point. So we are a church of small groups, not a church with small groups. Small groups is not a program that we run here a couple times a year. This is the heart of our church. Because right now we are in rows and we are learning to know God, but you and I need to find freedom. And that doesn't happen by you listening to a single voice for 35 minutes a week. It happens in the context of circles and relationships where we connect, protect, and grow with each other. And so I am encouraging you, and if this is your church and I'm your pastor, I am imploring you. I am urging you, as Paul says many times in his letters, urging you, be in a small group. And I know it's a time commitment. It's a sacrifice. It's an investment. You may have to change your schedule. You may have to change some things in your—I know that. And if you will talk to any person who's been in a small group semester, they will tell you it's worth it. The return on investment can't be measured. And if you talk to someone who was in a small group and took a semester off, they will tell you, I wish I didn't. I thought I was busy. But get this, you're too busy not to be in a small group. You have so much going on, this, this has to be a part of your life and my life. And so today we've got pancakes outside. We're going to celebrate with some carbs and some syrup and sugar, and it's going to be awesome right off the Blackstone. And so when you leave this space, I want you to take this card, having checked off a small group, and I'm going to highlight them in just a minute, that you're going to be a part of, and it starts next week, not this week. This is just the launch. You get this week, you're just going to figure out your schedule. But starting next week, the first week of October, and I want you to be in a small group. So when you go out there, there's a basket for you to put this card in, and then there's pancakes. And you might be saying, Pastor Keith, if I don't join a small group, does that mean I don't get pancakes? Yeah. <laughs> don't do it. That's called stealing. And I will heap shame and guilt on you because that's the kind of church we are. We're a church of guilt and shame. No, you can have pancakes. But to quote Jesus, man does not live on pancake alone. All right? And, and that pancake, man, you're going to eat it, and it's going to be gone in a couple hours. It's not—that's for your body. This is for your soul, and I mean that. This is for your soul. This is an investment for 10 weeks for you to say, I, I'm, I need this. Not just you, but someone else needs you to need it. Because we, we serve each other. Scripture says, consider one another's interests greater than your own humbly serve. You, you may feel like, I'm in a season where I, I, I just, I'm good. I'm good. Well, number one, you're lying to yourself. You're not that good. No one is. Number two, you may be good, but that person is not, and they need you to show up and smile for them. They need you to ask, how was your week? What are you reading? What tests are you going through? How can I pray for you? 
It's just, I love small groups. We, we love small groups here. You can't find freedom without being in one. So let me give you a little rundown real quick. Monday nights, I'm running a group called Fresh Start. If you're new to Jesus, new to church, it's a great group for you. If you've been coming to church for a while, it will reinforce the basics. We're going to learn about the Bible and, and who God is and, and, and um, the gifts of the Spirit and just kind of going through all those core things. Adult Bible study, Tuesdays at 7. Incredible group with incredible people, the Alfords and Quag. Also on Tuesdays at 7 is Financial Peace University. I talked about this a little earlier, but if you've never gone through Financial Peace University, I'm, I'm like really telling you this is the group that should stand out to you. Because in this group, you're going to learn how to manage your debt, how to get out of debt. You're going to learn how to live on a budget. You're going to learn all about financial practices. Like your finances will be better by the end of this. You're going to learn about retirements and investment and giving. And it's it's just great. And and people who have gone through financial peace, can you give me a good amen right there? Yeah, a couple people have done it, and it has changed their lives. Financial Peace University. Wednesday's men's group with Dave. going to be great. Thursday, I mean, are you kidding me? Finding God in the Lord of the Rings? What? This is awesome. I'm reading through The Hobbit right now with my son. Tolkien's work and just finding gospel truths in there. So that, that's going to be a great group. 7.30s on Thursdays as well, women's group. And then Fridays, I, this I can't— I, if I could be at every group, I'm telling you I would. And this would be a top one for me. It's Pizza and the Bible Project. It is my favorite food group every single week. And if you're not familiar with the Bible Project videos, they are incredible. And specifically, that group is going to teach you about the Bible. So if you've ever been like, I have tried the Bible and I don't get it, you will get it after these 10 weeks. You'll understand why in Old Testament, why in New Testament, can we trust this? Is it like real? Uh, there's so many books, the Koran and other holy books. What makes the Bible different? I'm encouraging you. That is a group to be a part of. And I mean, you get pizza. What? That's awesome. I think I'm going to change my group. I'm not doing a Monday group anymore. I just decided to take that one. Off. I'm going to the Friday group. There's just so many. And, and notice too, what's great is a lot of these groups are happening at our church building, which is just a mile from here. So it's, it's a good space for you. If you're saying, hey, I want to be, be in the church, it's, you're gonna, it's set up like a living room. Our church, if you haven't been there, our whole downstairs is literally set up with couches. It's going to feel like home because it's designed for small groups. So I want you to be in a small group. That's why I'm spending so much time on this. I want you to know the Lord who heals. I want you to face the test and to, to not fail, to not adopt an attitude of complaining, but to have people in your life. So take this and don't take it home. Sign it, sign it off and, and drop it in the basket out there and, and get some pancakes. I'm going to say a prayer, and then our team is going to lead us in just a portion of this song, Egypt, together, and um, just for a few minutes, and then Josh will share with us some next steps, and then we'll head out of this space. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? God, I want to pray specifically this morning, first giving you thanks that you are not the God who leaves us alone, that you are the God who brings us out of Egypt and then desires for the Egypt to be brought out of our lives, for us to find freedom. And God, I pray that this morning as we now respond in worship and in praise, that we would remember you're the God who set us free. You've delivered us and you've called us to obey you, to honor you. And it's in response to your great love for us. God, I pray this morning for those that are facing the test whether it be in their physical bodies or in their relationships or as they look at their children and how they are living. And it just is such a challenge day in and day out. May they remember the God who heals, that you are Jehovah Rapha, and that you are 
bringing us to a place of testing to strengthen us, to deepen our faith. And Lord, I, I pray that every person in this space would make the decision to join a small group. That, that not one of us would think we can go at this thing alone, that you've called us to be isolated, but rather, God, we would invest the time and, and yes, the sacrifice and, and all of it, knowing you've called us to be in community. God, thank you for this day. It's been awesome. We love you.